As I navigated the uniform policy ahead of my four-year-old son, um, ahead of my four-year-old son starting school for the first time in September, I was surprised to see different options for boys and girls. With a child of each gender, I was shocked to realise that my son can wear shorts, but my two-year-old daughter won't be able to when she starts school in a few years. In addition, dresses, cardigans, and strangely, white socks, are deemed only appropriate for girls. She continues to say, I am passionate about this because I believe that boys and girls are equal. I want children to grow up knowing they can do what they want and dress how they want regardless of gender. Now, um, this author seems to believe that equality means sameness. Uh, it, it's obviously controversial anyway. But what it means to be male and female is more than a controversial issue. It's also a personal issue. How can you grow when being a strong man is inextricably linked with being a dangerous monster? And when every other man on TV is a dangerous idiot like Homer Simpson? Where are... It's true. Where are the good male role models? They are nowhere to be found. And uh, it is difficult to be a man in 21st century Britain. I've also uh, this week asked several women to write down some of the challenges of being a woman in today's society. And I think one of the most telling responses I got was, how many pages would you like me to write? From all these conversations, it sounds like the difficulty really is just everything and everyone. There are so many expectations, so many competing responsibilities. How can you thrive as a woman when you're expected to keep all the plates spinning and still remain beautiful while you're doing it? When you have to be competent but not bossy. When you have to be friendly but not too friendly. When uh, you have to be this ambitious, modern, working woman who also fulfill, fulfills all the traditional roles too. It just seems hard. So gender is a contemporary issue. It's a personal issue. But of course, it's also a discipleship issue. Um, last term in our small group studies, we were looking at Colossians and there we read and saw that the whole of life is to be lived under the, the outstretched arms of the towering, majestic Lord Jesus. There are to be no hidden dark corners where his lordship isn't recognised, and that includes our gender. That includes our gender. The way we live, our maleness and our femaleness, is part of our devotion to Jesus. So, it's a, it's a controversial issue, it's a personal issue, it's a discipleship issue. And for these three reasons, we need an answer to the question, how can we flourish, how can we thrive as men and women in Christ? That's the question that we're going to be answering over the next seven weeks. How can we flourish as men and women in Christ? Uh, the final four sermons in the series are going to touch on the specific issues, things like transgenderism, men and women in church, men and women in this present age. But we're starting with the big picture. 
in the first three weeks, we're going to look at what it is to be male and female, created, fallen, and redeemed. So, we're starting at the beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. What does it mean to be created male and female? Uh, In Genesis 1 and 2, we find two answers. Uh, Firstly, oh, we haven't had the reading, have we? That's what it's about. I was wondering why two people were kind of pointing at their Bibles. Lucy, do you want to come up and do the reading for us? It'll make a lot of sense now. That's pretty... You can tell I've been away on holiday, can't you? Thanks, Lucy. Okay, um, the reading is from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, and then Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 25, and that starts on page 3 of the church bibles that's genesis 1 26 to 28 and then genesis 2 4 to 25 then god said let us make mankind in our image in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. And the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon, It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gishon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. 
Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Seamless. Thank you, Lucy. Uh, Why don't I pray, and that'll get us back on track. Father God, we pray that... uh, These words that we've just read uh, would speak to us. Lord, we pray for your spirit's help, that you would help us to concentrate and hear well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what does it mean to be created male and female? Two reasons from those verses that Lucy just read. Firstly, God created men and women gloriously the same. God created men and women gloriously the same. Now, of course, the saying goes that women are from Venus and men are from Mars. And this is normally because we start the conversation about men and women with our differences. It's supposed to be true that the female mind is like a jumbled ball of string with lots of interconnections, whereas our male simple mind is just an on-off switch. And I'm sure we can all think of very specific examples of this, but it's probably best that we don't mention them because we'll get in trouble. Um, That sort of thing can be nothing more than a bit of fun. However, it's also possible to carry into adulthood a kind of playground mentality where it's boys versus girls all the time. And honestly, conversations about men and women in the church often follow this same pattern too. If you gather a group together of um, conservative, Bible-loving Christians and you ask them the question, what do you believe the Bible says about men and women? Nine times out of ten, they will start by talking about different roles in marriage and the church, talking about sacrifice and submission. I know this because I've been in countless conversations like that. But this attitude within the church, where the conversation starts with difference, does not lead to thriving and flourishing. It takes us back to the playground. It limits us to boys and girls clubs. No, it leaves us feeling helpless or underappreciated, and it limits our potential for growth as a church and for outreach. We shouldn't start with difference, mainly because that's not where God starts in the conversation. That's not where the Bible starts the conversation about men and women. In Genesis 1, we see that God created men and women gloriously the same. Here again, the first part of our reading from Genesis 1, and I just want you to think, is God 
Is God's first word about men and women about difference or what we have in common? Verse 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Actually, let's continue with verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. It's about what we have in common, isn't it? Not how we're different. As humanity or mankind, it doesn't really make a difference. We have two glorious things in common. The first is image. We are created male and female in God's image. Now, throughout Genesis 1, God has been going about creating and uh, creating something out of nothing, bringing order out of chaos. Uh, There's a kind of rhythm and a pattern to this. It goes, and God said, let there be, dot, 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 Um, And there was evening and there was morning, the first, second, third, fourth, fifth day. But then, when God creates man and woman, the pattern breaks, the rhythm stops, and instead we get this kind of divine deliberation, let us make. He hasn't said that about anything else. It's like a divine drum roll. And it's building anticipation for God doing something really, really special. That's worth dwelling on. God has created a lot of very special things. There's something magnificent about an old oak tree. Its roots reach down deep into the earth, pulling up nutrients, up and up and up, up its strong, wide trunk, and to the branches which stretch out to the heavens and its leaves turn towards the sun's light. It's it's something magnificent about an old oak tree. There's something special about an ocean. It can be crashing, splashing fun at the seashore, or it can be dark, mysterious, terrifying darkness in the deep. There's something special about an ocean. But humanity is the highlight of Creation. As special as those things are, the drum roll is reserved for the creation of humanity, male and female. This unique dignity is reserved for us because we are made in God's image. Now, historically, people have said this refers to our morality, our sense of right and wrong. Uh, Or they've said it refers to our reason, our ability to think. Or they've said it refers to our uh, spirituality, our ability to relate to God. And I think all of those things are true. But the main point of an image is to be an image. If you were a king and you wanted to create statues of yourself around your realm as Rulers tend to do throughout history. 
Why would you do that? It's because you want people to see that image in statue form. You want people to see that statue and be reminded of who you are. You want people to see that statue and be reminded of your reign. You want people to see that statue and think about the great things that you have done. And that's what we are. We are made in God's image. image. We are little statues made to represent and reflect what God is like to the world. A tree can reflect something of God's life-giving nature and his safety and refuge. An ocean can speak of something about the the deep mystery of who God is, but humanity, male and female, says so much more made in the image of God. Neither male nor female is a complete image, a complete perfect representation of who God is, but, but together we say more than we do when we're apart. To do away with any distinction between male and female is to lessen our ability to say something about God. Together, we image to the world who our creator God is. And notice in those verses, being made in God's image is equally true of both men and women. It gives us both immense value and dignity. I'm going to switch metaphors for for just a moment. You're digging around in your loft and uh, in the corner under a cobwebby, dusty sheet, you find a stack of paintings. Uh, You remember that uh, the previous owner did mention that she was an artist. You bring these paintings downstairs into the light and you notice that in the bottom corner of just one of these beautiful paintings is a signature. Which of these paintings do you think was most precious to the artist? Which of these paintings is going to be most valuable at auction? It's the one with the artist's signature, isn't it? It gives it greater value. It gives it greater worth. And that's what God did to us, men and women, when he created us. He put his signature on us. To be made in the image of God is to be given great value, dignity, and worth. Here's the point. Men and women are both equally and extraordinarily precious. It should grieve us when this isn't recognized. When the rights of women in Afghanistan or here in the UK are diminished, are not recognized, are challenged, God is grieved and we should be too. Those women are precious, valuable image bearers and they must be treated as such. It is a wonderful thing to be a woman made in the image of God. And when men are made to feel like they must shrink and be silent because all male strength is betrayed as patriarchal power, God is equally grieved 
Men are precious, valuable image bearers, and we should not be apologetic about being men. It is a precious and valuable thing to be a man made in God's image. We do not have to apologize for that. The second thing that men and women have in common is mission. Uh, We see that in verse 28. God gave man and woman the mission of filling and ruling the earth. Some people want to divide these two jobs, one to one, one to the other. They want to say, oh, um, women, you can do the filling by having babies, and, and men, you can do the ruling by going to work. But as well as being very limited on what men and women can and can't do, that isn't what God says here. He gives both jobs to both sexes. Together, we are made to fill and rule the world. Together, we fill the earth, not just with babies, but with with families, with churches, with societies, with governments. That's a job for men and women together. That is our mission. And together we rule the earth by caring for the planet as God does, by harnessing natural resources, by being creative with what God has given us, by building bridges and designing computer programs. This is a mission for both men and women together. Here is described what we have in common, not what sets us apart. And as well, When Jesus gave his followers the Great Commission, he had the same idea in mind. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This mission is very similar to the one given in Genesis 1. Through us, Jesus is the one who is filling and ruling the the earth. We go into our neighborhoods, the supermarkets, the uh, places of work, those sports teams and art clubs that we go to when we tell people about Jesus. And by doing so, we fill the world with his disciples. And as we teach them to obey his commands and submit to his gentle, loving rule, Jesus is exalted as king and rules over the world. And once again, this mission is for men and women together. Those uh, 12 disciples chosen by Jesus, yes, they were men, but they were chosen just like the 12 tribes of Israel to represent the whole of God's people, the whole of God's people, men and women from every generation back then and now in the future. The Great Commission wasn't just for those 12 disciples, it was for all of us, men and women, Christians everywhere. As men and women created in the image of God, we have the same mission. So here's the point. When we start the conversation with how men and women differ, we ignore God's glorious design and his great purpose for our lives. When we separate into boys and girls clubs in a way that uh, has a us and them mentality, we quench what it is to be human. We will thrive as men 
and women when we recognize that first and foremost, we are created gloriously the same. Now, three practical applications. Firstly, every, each and every example of exalting one sex above the other must be rejected. It must be rejected, whether that is macho male dominance or whether that is feminist silencing of men, whether that is the exploiting of either sex through pornography. These things must be rejected. They go against God's glorious creation purposes. Secondly, it's really, really important that we enjoy men's ministry and women's ministry. I think it's really, really important that us as guys make an effort to free up the first Tuesday of the month so we can go to the Woolpack and spend time with our brothers in Christ. I think it's really, really important that as women, you, you attend that deeper event coming up in a couple of Saturdays' time. That's going to be so, so valuable. But we shouldn't see these things as a replacement for events like this, where we are together, both men and women, uh, both men and women, both God's people. It's very important that we prioritize being together as whole church. And thirdly, whatever your mission is, whether it's evangelistic or whether it's commercial, cultural, uh, in business, include both men and women in the decision-making process. That is how God made us to accomplish the mission which he has given. We are created gloriously the same. Secondly, God created men and women beautifully distinct. God created men and women beautifully distinct. And we see this when we look at Genesis chapter 2. In chapter 1, we saw kind of the broad brush strokes of creation. And chapter 2 doesn't tell us what happens next. It kind of is a different perspective, zooming in particularly on the creation of humanity. Here we see that the differences between male and female are more than anatomical. We're going to start by looking at the man, Adam. The Lord forms him from the dust of the earth and he places him in the Garden of Eden. And this garden is a paradise. It has absolutely everything that humanity could possibly need. Verse 15. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now we've already seen that ruling and caring for God's earth, God's creation, is the job equally of men and women. But here we see that God gives first responsibility to, uh, of, for this task to Adam. There's nothing here about taking charge or being the boss. Adam isn't told to start writing a to-do list for when Eve shows up. But he, isn't, he is given this job by God first. So he must take responsibility for it. If he doesn't take responsibility for working it, then this garden is going to grow wild. The weeds are going to sprout up. It's going to become unfruitful. And if he doesn't take responsibility for taking care of this garden, then snakes may enter its borders. 
Hear this. Even in a perfect world, men, we are not made to sit back and relax on our patio chairs while everything goes to chaos around us and the weeds grow. We will never thrive as men if all we're doing is trying to escape responsibility and run away from work. It's so sad that that so many men do hide away in their man caves, in their sheds, in their video games. And is it any surprise that they feel unfulfilled and depressed because of that? We flourish as men when we embrace our God-given responsibilities to work, to care, to protect. So in the corner of the garden that God has placed you, put your shoulder into it. Put your back into it. If you're studying, work at it. If you're a husband or a dad, work at it. If you're in the office this week, work at it. If you're an older man in the congregation with younger men looking up to you, work at it. This is how we were created to flourish as men, by accepting our God and embracing our God-given responsibilities. And as well as taking responsibility for work, Adam was created to take responsibility for worship. We're going to stay in verse 15 for a moment because the phrase work it and take care of it would come up again later in Genesis and it would be applied to the work of a priest in the tabernacle, preparing the tabernacle for the worship of God. The indication is that Adam was at work here as a kind of gardener priest, maintaining Eden as a place where humanity could meet with God. It was a place of worship. And again, worship is is equally the realm of men and women. But here we get the first hints that some men might have particular responsibility to take the initiative in this area. In verses 16 and 17, uh, just to underline this, God makes an agreement with Adam. Uh, Verse 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. It's an agreement between God and Adam, but more than that, it's an agreement between God and humanity. This was also an agreement with Eve. This was also an agreement with with every other Human, uh, human that would come after them. And yet Adam is given the responsibility to pass on the contents, the terms of this agreement to everybody else. And his success or failure would have massive implications for the rest of us. He's functioning as a kind of representative for the whole of humanity. He is given responsibility for this area of worship. So, as well as in work, As men, we will only thrive if we embrace our responsibility to take the initiative in worship. This starts when we ourselves learn how to worship. 
I might rephrase that because I think all of us already do know how to worship. We all have those kind of wow moments where Lionel Messi scores a fantastic goal or when we see a beautiful steak on the plate. Wow, this is fantastic. That is worship. That is worship. And we are most fulfilled We thrive the most, we flourish the most when we celebrate that which is most worthy of our worship. And I hate to break it to you, but that which is most worthy of our worship is not Lionel Messi. It's not a beautiful steak, as good as that might be. It is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There is nothing more glorious, there is nothing more wow than seeing Jesus, the Son of God, dying on a cross for our sins and raising to life again. We will be most fulfilled, we will thrive the most when we learn to worship him. And thriving as a human being and certainly as a man happens when we do more than that. When we lead others in the worship of God. That might be with your friends after a sermon when you might say, I loved what we learned today about being made in the image of God. That's, that's leading your friends in worship. That might be when you read the Bible with your family. I would say the thing that has made me most happy in a year and a half at Christ Church has been when I learned that one guy in particular, had started reading the Bible with his family. Absolutely love that. That is fantastic. You don't have to have been doing it for ages. You can start this week. That would be brilliant. What a great way to lead others in worship. And another way we could do that. I remember the first time I served as a Sunday school teacher. Uh, I was like late teens. I didn't know what I was doing. But man, it felt right. It felt so right. And I would encourage you to consider that as well if you are one of God's people. As men, particularly, we were created to take responsibility for work and worship. That's how we thrive. And now let's turn to Eve. Verse 18 says, The Lord said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. How do you feel about that word, helper? Does it sound a bit patronising? I get that. It might conjure up images from, and memories uh, from the classroom of the teacher asking for a couple of helpers to put their little hands up. But this word isn't a weak word in the Bible, no. This word is applied to God more than anybody else. God is our helper. So Eve was created to image this characteristic of God. She was created to be a helper of the helpless. That was Adam's problem here in the garden. It's not primarily that he was just lonely. It's that burdened by the responsibilities of work and worship, Adam was inadequate for the task. He was helpless, and Eve was created to help Adam shoulder these responsibilities. Yes, the primary responsibility belonged to Adam, but as we know, without women, the job doesn't get done. 
But surprisingly, God doesn't create the helper straight away. Instead, we read of this strange parade in verses 19 to 20 where Adam names the animals. And we'll get this straight from the start. He's not naming them Gary and Siobhan. He's saying, that's a tiger. That's a giraffe. In other words, these are different. These are other. These are not me. No suitable match was found and none of them were up to the job. Contrast, however, Adam's reaction when Eve is brought to him. God puts Adam into a deep sleep and forms woman out of a rib. And I love the Matthew Henry quote on this. Eve was not taken out of Adam's head to top him, neither out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved by him. That's good, isn't it? Adam wakes and uh, he sees Eve and he bursts into song. Verse 23 of chapter 2. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. These are the first recorded human words in history. And it's poetry. It's a song. In other words, it could go like this. Unlike all those animals there, here is my equal. Here is my companion. Here is someone like me. And thus began the first marriage. Here is my helper to work and worship with. Now, women, you were created gloriously to be the helpers of the helpless. This glorious, godlike task will look different for all of you. This might be in the office with your colleagues, with your bosses, or with your employees. You can help them bear the responsibilities so that the job gets done. This might be in the family, with your husband, with your parents, with your children. You can support and care for them when they feel inadequate. The best way you can do this is is praying for them. That is a wonderful help for the helpless. This might be in your friendship circle. You can be a shoulder to cry on. You can be a listening ear when they don't know what to do. And speaking as a man, and I know you don't need to hear this, but you know it already, we need you. Whether in marriage, in work, or anywhere else, I think the challenge from these verses is to be a companion worth singing about, just like Adam sung of Eve. In Proverbs 31, we read, a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. The most valuable thing you can do is is point to God, our helper, the one who you are imaging. In your words, in your way of life, in your own work and worship, you speak of the Lord. And whether that's recognized or not, that is really worth celebrating. In conclusion, what does it mean to be created male and female? God has created us gloriously the same. That's where we must start the conversation. We are made in God's image. and We have the same mission. And we particularly thrive as men 
when we embrace our responsibilities to work and worship. And women particularly thrive as helpers of the helpless. Let's pray that God would help us to do this more and more. But this isn't the end of the story. Uh, Here we've talked about a description of what it is to be man and woman in a perfect world, but we don't live in a perfect world, do we? This is the ideal that we strive towards, but we all fall short. We all fall flat on our faces sometimes. So, before we can learn what it is to flourish as men and women, we need to learn what it is to be fallen male and female. But that's next week. Let me pray. Almighty God, we thank you and we praise you, our glorious creator. We thank you so much for the beauty we see in creation. We thank you so much for creating us male and female. Thank you for everything that we can see about you when we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, we pray that you would help us to to live our lives in every aspect, both as men and women, to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.